Welcome to Mindset Win Uncut, a version of the podcast where each time you'll hear a full-length interview with one guest, uninterrupted. Today we're getting to spend more time with world champion mountain biker Kate Courtney, who was an early guest on the series, and I'm delighted to say is now my co-host. If you follow Kate on social media, you'll see how motivated and disciplined she is. Every day, she's either in the gym or blazing the trails. And she's always thinking about how she can improve her performance. So here's Kate to share her insights, stories, and wisdom in a special uncut version of her interview. Hi, my name is Kate Courtney, and I'm a professional mountain bike racer. I grew up in Marin County, California, at the base of Mount Tamalpais, which is actually where mountain biking was invented. So there's definitely a deep culture of mountain biking in the community. My first memory of cycling is certainly not the first time I was on a bike, but in middle school, I would actually ride on Mount Tam with my dad. Um, and some of those early days, they've gotten all kind of conflated into one epic story, but um, I remember going with him on a tandem mountain bike, riding to the top of the mountain, and we would get blueberry pancakes, especially on the cold days. There was a lot of positive motivation at the beginning. For me, I think it was really a gift to be exposed to the adventure side of the sport long before I knew that competitive mountain biking was a competitive sport or even potentially a career path. So I fell in love with being out on the mountain, with spending time with my dad and our friends out on the mountain, with exploring, and obviously with the blueberry pancakes. Um, and so, yeah, I had that early experience just enjoying the activity for the activity itself. Cycling evolved really slowly into a competitive pursuit. I had only really watched the Tour de France, which was, of course, all road biking and all men. So it wasn't something I saw myself doing until high school. And that's where um, I actually found cross-country running. And it was the first sport that I was good at and, and really enjoyed and started kind of winning some races and thought, wow, I found my thing. Uh, and I was looking for a way to cross-train for that, which luckily my high school had a high school mountain bike team. And I decided to do that in the spring, truly just to cross-train for running but immediately found myself hooked. Um, I loved all the endurance aspects of cross-country mountain biking. It's similar to running in that it requires consistent hard work. It involves long hours out on the mountain, um, but it also had all of these other elements, the thrill of descending, there's technical aspects, there's tactical aspects, um, and of course the mental side of the sport is also very intense and important. So for me, that took off really quickly. And it was interesting. There were a lot of these pivot points, I think, because I didn't know about Olympic mountain biking and I didn't know about World Cup racing. I didn't have these big goals to begin with. I really had this small incremental progression. I thought, oh, can I win this local high school race? And then, you know, I won that. And I thought, ah, oh, maybe I could do a statewide race. Maybe I can do a national level race. And then got the chance to go to Europe uh, with the national team and compete there which I would say is is when things tipped over into, um, you know, a, a much more serious pursuit where I learned 
I have a long way to go to be competitive at this, but not only do I, I think I have a chance, but I really want to pursue it. My greatest mental strength, I would say, is persistence. Endurance sports are not just about physically pushing through, but about being able to stay focused and motivated and positive over the long haul. And obviously, there's a lot of kind of sub-skills to that. There's setting adequate goals. There's having a really good plan to get there. Um, But that persistent mindset of just day in and day out being dedicated to what it takes to make those incremental steps, I would say, has been my greatest strength in my career. It's the thing that allows you to turn ordinary moments into extraordinary performances. Some of the the earliest memories I've had of that mental resilience actually came in those early days competing in Europe, um, where I found myself, you know, completely out of my league, just to be honest. I didn't have the technical skills to compete at that level. I didn't have the depth of training and the years of experience. And I think the ability to take that as an exciting challenge and start to break down, okay, now I know where the benchmark is. How do I find ways to work towards that every day and believe that, you know, regardless of that starting point, if I'm on the right trajectory, I can eventually get there. I think early in my career, I honestly thought, okay, I'm just, I'm working harder and I'm performing better. Um, But I think in recent years, particularly with an experience like the pandemic, I have started to appreciate how many things have to go right for you to continue to rise. I have a really great mentor who always says, many are called and few are chosen, which I think is a really beautiful way of thinking about luck in relationship to professional athletics. You can't get hurt at certain times. You can't struggle with major illness. You need to deliver at some of those specific big races and specific times. Um, And I've had, yeah, a a lot of luck has played into those moments all aligning for me um, and having those opportunities. I think for me, one of the biggest opportunities to grow my mental tool set came in racing the Cape Epic, which is known as the hardest mountain bike race in the world. It's um, eight days. It's in South Africa. It's known to be quite hot and involve anywhere from two to five hours of racing each day. And it's a partner event. So most cross-country mountain biking is not a partner event. You do it alone. And suddenly in this event, you have a teammate. Um, So I was given the opportunity to race in 2018, and I had never done more than one day of racing in a row and was partnered with the multi-time defending champion in the marathon world champion. So, you know, kind of undoubtedly the best uh, endurance female mountain biker at the time. And that was a huge challenge for me. And I think that race, there were all of these moments where I would be on, her name was Annika Langvad was my partner, and I would be on her wheel and the pace would go up. Or one of the days we got a flat tire and all of a sudden you're a minute or two minutes behind. And I would just have to find a way to stay there. Annika is incredibly strong on the flats. And that I would say is a weakness of mine. And somewhere that from the beginning I acknowledged, you know, she is gonna way outpace me on the flats. So my job was essentially to empty myself by the top of the climb, recover as much as I could on the descent, and the stages often ended with a big flat section. And that 
was just about hanging on. And I have very vivid memories of doing mental math of, okay, how many kilometers are left in the race? A train traveling at five kilometers an hour will get there in how many minutes? And continuing to calculate and recalculate how many minutes I had to stay at that power. And I think that's something that is common in interval training. It's actually common in in that type of racing as well, I think. And it was really helpful. I think it ties back to that theme of the ability to persist. It's not always some huge inspirational speech and motivation. It's often just calculating what has to be done and finding ways to push through it and stay positive and stay focused. And I think that moment for me really expanded my view of what I was capable of. There were all of these moments where I thought, okay, if I die, I die. I have to try to stay. I have to try to find a way to be here. And no one's coming to help you. It's it's up to you. And I think that was one of the first times that I pushed kind of that far beyond those limits and to a real unknown where my training didn't necessarily relate exactly to the experiences of that tough of a race. And I think it completely changed my mindset in future races where I thought, okay, if you just hang on, you know, the the circumstances may change. I think courage is a big part of it. For me, it really comes down to my relationship with myself and that inner voice where, you know, I'm convinced that I I want to do it, that it matters to me, and that I care about the result of that effort. And that I believe I can. And I think that inner conversation is one of the most transformative aspects of sport. It allows you to, I think, build confidence, not just in terms of race results, so I'm I'm capable of this, but to build the confidence that in tough moments you can find what you need to continue and that it strengthens your sense of self and your desire to push through and and hopefully accomplish some amazing things with that strength. I have had mantras at a lot of races, um, just a few words that help me kind of center into what the goal is, what to think about during the race, and to come back to um, if ever things become challenging. And they evolve over time. My favorite mantra from last year um, was accept and commit. It was about accepting the uncontrollability, the uncertainty, which I think was a huge challenge for me during the pandemic, and committing to the moment, to um, winning that little inner battle of, will I push to the edge? Will I keep going? Will I get the most out of myself in every moment possible, both in training and in racing throughout the season? And it was something I came back to, particularly in moments of challenge, where you have to accept the challenge. Sometimes I'll have a bracelet or, or written somewhere, um, but I think often it's just something that I think about in the week leading up to the race and, yeah, think about in the race as well. Um, I think often it'll it'll follow along with um, your breath in the race. So like an inhale and exhale, you kind of get into a rhythm thinking about the mantra and having it connect to your rhythm of breathing in the race. I love meditation and yoga and and mantras are a big part of that. And I think um, in particular, vinyasa yoga is where it's breath to movement. So you're connecting your breath to your movement. Um, And I feel that's something that's really important in cycling as well. It's a way to understand the physiology of where you are 
and to have a perceived effort, um, which sounds easy, but actually as you become a professional athlete and have all these metrics and this data and an understanding of your placing in the race, being able to tune into your physiology and understand where you are, how hard it is, can you go harder, um, and be in that moment is increasingly challenging. So I think I always found that mantras and connecting it to breathing allowed me to yeah, fi- find that still point and, and connect to how I felt in the moment in the race um, and push forward from there. I use music uh, quite a bit in training. I think it definitely does help motivate with those long, monotonous days. Um, but I think I delineate between, you know, easy days, really long days that are low intensity. Those are great opportunities for me to use music and, and yeah, maybe have a little distraction. But when I'm on the race course, I don't get to listen to music. I am alone with my thoughts and the sound of my breathing and my heart beating really wildly and trying to, um, yeah, be resourceful within my own self to keep going and to get to that next level and push even harder. I find the balance of training and recovery to be one of the hardest aspects of being an athlete. For me, I think I have a mindset that, you know, I, I've always wanted to push through. I want to do the harder thing, do more, and have believed that will lead to success for a long time. Um, but I've also overdone it. I've had a season where I I really felt I overtrained, I pushed you hard, and suffered the results of that. A month at 100% is a lot. That's sacrificing relationships. That's sacrificing, um, yeah, dessert. I try to be at that, like, 90% all the time where, you know, occasionally I, you know, if my best friend's getting married, I'm going to the wedding. If there's, uh, everyone's going out to dinner and it's maybe, you know, not the healthiest place, you know, you can do that every once in a while. You can have wine with dinner and, and do these things that create a balanced, holistic life. And honestly, in my experience, do not detract from performance as much as you might think. In fact, being happy is a huge contributor to my performance. So for me, that's all about a balance and being honest with how you feel, being honest with your coaching team and making the time for recovery, which to me, recovery is very active. It's, um, you know, recovery rides, ice baths, sauna, doing, getting massage, doing the foam roller. Um, doing the Norma Tech boots, all of those kind of active recovery pieces. But also for rest. Rest is something that has to exist. It can't be, I'm resting to become a better biker right now. It has to be, I'm taking a break. I'm walking my dog because I love walking my dog. I'm um, honestly, sometimes rest is riding my bike with friends and having a day that it's just about fun. And I don't feel like I'm in the office and Um, checking off power data numbers, and really just experiencing the love of being outdoors. It does involve more of that mental break from not just progressing towards your goal, but from thinking about progressing towards your goal. For me, I think sleep is a huge asset and a big part of recovery and performance. Um, I do take naps pretty often. I think that especially when my training gets harder, that's a critical part of just being able to perform at my best throughout the day, throughout multiple training sessions. And most importantly, as you start to stack day on day, week on week, month on month of hard training. But again, this is somewhere where I think that persistence and that ability to endure 
not just the hard parts of training, the pushing through and lifting heavy weights and riding hard on the bike, but honestly, being able to attend to those kind of boring, monotonous details um, that in the moment are often easy to skip or make an excuse about, but that add up over time. My Olympic experience was certainly very challenging in 2021, and I'll just be honest about it. I think for some athletes, it set them up well. Maybe they were a younger athlete who wouldn't have made the team in 2020 and not had a chance, or um, someone who, yeah, was a little bit of a dark horse. I think it it could play really well into that hand. Um, But for me, I was pre-qualified. I had won the World Cup overall the year before, and Um, you know, by the time that things got canceled, had already kind of done my entire buildup to the Olympic season, which was the fourth year of a four-year plan that became a five-year plan. (laughs) I had to do kind of a second Olympic media cycle. And by the time we got to the the real Olympics, um, it had been two years of answering interview questions about, you know, being number one in 2019 and where I sat and where my chances for gold were. Um, And I think really that level of anxiety and desire to achieve this goal um, just caused me to push too hard. I think in the moments when I felt that stress, I thought, oh, I, you know, I need to work even harder. And I probably would have been better off training a little less than normal um, just to accommodate the uncertainty and the travel and trying to reacclimate to a race season after a long time away. Um, so the Olympics did not go well for me. That was a huge letdown. Um, I was definitely disappointed. Um, although, of course, you know, I, I was the one out there racing. And so I, I own that performance and um, have spent a lot of time trying to understand how to learn from that moment and not just move past it, but integrate what I learned from it into my training to make me a better athlete. I think I matured a lot through the Olympic process. And in that fall, I had to really reassess every element of what I was doing. And I think as athletes, we kind of, over time, you just add more things and you evolve and you change and you do things differently and it works. And once it works, you do that as long as it works. Um, But when it stops working, it becomes time to be very critical about who's around you. I think getting there is a very single focus stepstone where every year you just set your goal a bit higher. So every year, you know, one year you're 10th in the World Cup and you say, oh, I'd love to be fifth. Oh, you're fifth. I'd love to be in the top three. Oh, you're top three. I'd love to win a race. And it's a very natural progression that I think happened until 2019 for me where, you know, I did I did win quite a few races and won the World Cup overall and felt like, okay, you know, at this point in my career, I can set the goal of winning in any race, technically speaking. So after the Olympic year, understanding that I was no longer in that position, but really wanted to work back towards that was a challenging mental task. I would say on a training side, there were a lot of incremental changes where we just learned, okay, this isn't working for me anymore, or how do we know this is working for me? On the mental side, which to me was the more important side, I started to find ways of building confidence that were not as linked to numerical outcomes, which of course, those are extremely important. I'm a data nerd. I love 
recovery data. I love my power meter. I love tracking data over time and testing and building through cycles. And I think it's a huge part of what's made me successful. But losing the ability to discern between data and outcomes and how I was feeling in the moment and what were the right decisions based on even something as simple as that gut feeling, I think caused me to make some mistakes that year that could be avoided in the future. Um, So it was really a rebuilding of not only my process and the actual pieces of my training, but of my mental approach and my confidence in myself, my ability to adapt and to accept uncertainty and change and failure um, and learn through it and continue to set reasonable, appropriate goals and believe in my ability to get there and in my team's ability to get me there. For the first year, our goal was consistency and getting back into the top 10, which, of course, took a lot of work and was very hard and honestly, in many ways, not as rewarding because getting 10th when you've won a World Cup is not something to write home about. It's not like an amazing experience that, oh, all my hard work paid off and my hopes and dreams are realized. It's this kind of quiet pride of, okay, I'm like continuing to chip away. I think for me, that's where, again, that persistent mindset and that ability to just continually evolve and show up and do the work comes in handy big time and is critical to reaching those goals that often take years and years to build towards. Success is all about continuing to learn and evolve. I think that counts both in high-performance experiences for an athlete, but also in life, just being willing to change over time and to expose yourself to new ideas, new ways of thinking and doing things. I call mountain biking the accelerated course of life in success and failure. It's very visceral. You feel the weight of losses and the joy of wins so emotionally in those moments because there's so much work that goes into it, not just by me, but by an entire team around me. I find that it connects the kind of mental skills and the fortitude that you build through sports and your ability to perform better as a person and take those lessons into any arena. It's kind of an accelerated course in success and failure in the short term. Um, But if you can take that long perspective in the sport, it's something that can make you a better person. It can make you a better partner. It can make you better in other ventures, whether that's another job or another career that comes later. Everything can't be formulaic and regimented. And I think athletes would end up very sad and lonely and probably overtrained if that were the case. So for me, riding with friends, eating dessert, having some wine at dinner with my family, these things are all a part of being a high-performing person. Your intellect can change. Your physical strength can change. Your technical abilities, anything can change if you are willing to commit to the process that it takes to change it. So I think first, believing that is critical. And then second, putting in a structure that makes it the easy thing to do. For example, I go to the gym two days a week and I used to do that at home and found after a little while, it was really hard for me to stay focused. It was hard to um, not get distracted by things going on in my house and changing the laundry and the dog running in and my husband working from home. And I found I just, I wasn't performing the way that I wanted to perform or feeling the way that I wanted to feel in the gym. And so I started making appointments 
Monday and Friday, I go two days a week and I'm in the gym for two hours and then I have PT for an hour. Um, And I absolutely love my strength coach, Matt Smith. He makes it super fun and makes the goals really attainable for me. And he puts a lot of thought into what's up on the board every single week. Um, And I can see the progress, I can feel it, and I feel the shared joy of making that progress. But it also makes the thing I want to do the easy thing. It's built in. I have to be there by nine. I walk in the door with a good attitude and I do what is asked of me. And I think as an elite athlete, yes, motivation is part of my job, but I think structure and defining ways to set yourself up for success goes much, much farther. When I feel I'm underperforming or I don't have the skills I need to race at the level I want to race, it's like being on a treadmill where it's up one speed too high. And no matter how you go, you just can't quite get your feet underneath you. Um, being at an appropriate level of challenge is, you know, you're, you're on the treadmill, you're going the right speed, you can keep that pace and you, you feel comfortable. But I think those breakthrough moments, that kind of feeling that I'm probably addicted to in sport is when you're on the treadmill and you think, I can go a bit faster. I can turn this up. And that's the moment in races where I think you have those breakthroughs and where you're able to say, I trust myself to to push beyond this limit and I'm prepared and capable of doing it. The greatest moment that I felt that was in winning the world championship where I was really focused on my pacing and, and on my own performance and was able to pass in the last lap and win. So that's one moment where all of a sudden, you know, you're focused on that process. You're focused on pushing that limit and wow, all of a sudden you get a result that you didn't know was possible. But I also find that feeling in moments where I'm resilient or I'm able to accomplish something that is important to me, but maybe not visible to other spectators. In uh, the spring of 2021, I had a race where um, I was in the lead group on the second lap and crashed and broke my arm and broke my brake lever, which is actually like a crazy mechanical to have and probably would have been out of the race if I didn't have an amazing mechanic who, after getting to the tech zone, was able to replace the brake lever um, in about two minutes. So I get back into the race and I am in pretty much last place at this point. And it's a cross-country race. There's essentially no hope for a good result. And so I just set the goal of passing one girl, pass a girl. Then I thought, you know, I can pass two. And all of a sudden, it became this huge focus of just, I decided I wanted to make as many passes as I possibly could in that race. And I made 57 passes. And it was not a super exciting result. I think I finished 40th. But my lap times in the last two laps were in the top 10 again. Um, And that's with lap traffic and a broken arm. So for me, that race is not something that I'm going to put high up on my resume, But it gave me that same feeling of, okay, I trust myself to be able to meet this challenge, and I'm committed to doing everything I can um, to get the best out of the situation. I think sometimes in races like that, the psychological wound is bigger than the physical one. It's it's really a hard feeling to have, yeah, all of that work um, not reflect in your result. But I found that for me, if you can make your effort reflect that work, it won't work every time. 
Sometimes you'll crash. Sometimes you'll break your arm. Sometimes you'll get a flat tire. Sometimes you just 100% will underperform for whatever reason. But you will always have that faith in yourself that you are giving your best effort. And more often than not, when you stay committed to that over a long period of time, eventually it will come with a big result. The always impressive Kate Courtney. In Kate's episode, I pick up on her idea of using mantras to help build your resilience. And I really think this is a worthwhile tool. So I recommend you to check it out. It's available now along with a whole feast of other episodes for you to listen to whenever you want. That's it for this time, but there's plenty more uncut episodes on their way. So don't forget to subscribe to Mindset Win so you can be sure you never miss a thing.